We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because... Well, sorry, Canada. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Toronto. And because Philly sucks. I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nah. Hello, and welcome to the Brew Who Podcast, episode 74, the Zero Sleep Edition for the Brew Hoop staff. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, in a very, very different place than I was just a few days ago when I recorded with these guys. I don't think I've ever seen your faces this many times in this few of days, but it's really good to see you, Kyle Carr and Riley Feldman. How are you doing? Uh, we're doing excellent. I think it's really fitting for our aesthetic, our style on this podcast to be 24 hours removed and uh, multiple hours, like multiple podcast lives removed from everybody else getting their emergency podcasts out. Uh, but it, it's a pleasure to be here. And it, I think it fits with our aesthetic, like I said. So this is good to be here. And I'm glad we had time to let the dust settle a little bit. I also think it's pretty fitting that we had our draft pod got that out of the way and that became completely irrelevant so this is just to replace it that's all this is our post draft (laughs) pod episode if we if we are going to have one yeah i i don't have even though i'm co-managing editor i don't have a lot of sway over this stuff we cover because it's kind of just the nba calendar Mm -hmm. but i've decided we're never covering the first round of the uh nba draft (laughs) ever again we don't have to Yeah, it won't yeah. matter at this point. Yeah, it really won't matter at this point. And of course, the only reason we've convened like this is is because there was, I'd say, arguably what the, the biggest Bucks trade, most franchise altering trade in. I don't know. You guys think of in my lifetime, a hundred percent. I can't think of another one that's bigger. If I was to pick like a one A over this, it would probably be when we got Monte Ellis, uh, <laughs> because Monte got that one full page ad in the Journal Sentinel before he even played a game. He preempted his ride out of town. So if I was to say one A, uh, probably be the Ellis trade, and that's only because everybody gets to go reference that about the Bucks screwing with the Steph Curry uh, over Monte Ellis thing. So. Uh, but otherwise, like actual consequential might have an actual meaning on a championship. I don't think there's been a trade over the past you know, 20 years that matches this. Yeah, I was going to say, in terms of having championship implications, this definitely tops it. In terms of shock, I would still go with the Ray Allen one that happened. And that's probably because I'm still traumatized and crying in my dad's car for hours on it <laughs> after finding out after school. But... I, we, I know it was mentioned in the Brew Hoop comments, but this was like, is this the most exciting day or night in Bucks history? And I was like, well, I don't know. I feel like the Greg Monroe signing was a pretty big deal, and we made a big deal about that, but this might surpass it. And it was a hectic – it felt like the whole night, even though it was only like three hours. <laughs> I know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only trade for me that's even come close is the Michael Carter Williams, Tyler Ennis, Miles Plumley trade. I know it's I know it seems small, but at the time, guys, it was like, why why are the Bucks making a, a semi intelligent trade like trading Brandon Knight, not doubling down on this dude, and getting a couple young pieces in return? I mean, I remember going home and being like, I don't know what Tyler Ennis could be. 
but he could be our starting guard on a championship team. I mean, we 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 made an important trade to get some young pieces in completely the opposite idea of what the Bucks typically do. And of course it's come full circle and the Bucks have cashed in literally every single chip they basically have in terms of trade assets for the foreseeable future. So let's get into some of the nitty gritty details because I think we all know where we were when we saw the trade go down just in the twilight of the night, both in central and Eastern standard time. I think we were all basically getting ready for bed and then, and then it came across the wire. So the trade First one that came across was Drew Holiday in exchange for George Hill, Eric Bledsoe. And at the time, it just said significant draft compensation. But now we do know the full extent of what the Bucks have surrendered in terms in, in order to get Drew Holiday. And the price is steep. It is the 2021st that they got from Indiana, so the 24th pick in this year's draft. Pick swap in 2024, 2025 first-round pick unprotected. 2026 right to pick swap and then the 2027 first round pick unprotected going all the way to new orleans it's a heavy price when it came down today that two of those picks were unprotected it was a tough look for me after in my column i called out horse as the pick protection king and i thought there's no way he wouldn't do this given his predilection to do so but he threw me for a loop when you saw that those picks were unprotected, Riley, just first impressions over then, once we kind of got the full circle of what the full idea of what the trade was going to be, what was your first impression of it? My first impression was good. We don't need them. That's what I thought. I was like, who cares about draft picks? We're going to win a championship and the 30th overall pick. We might as well not have it because we're not going to have space for any guaranteed money anyhow. So it would probably actually be a problem for us cap wise. Um, <laughs> I guess uh, I- I'm... You're right that it's a lot to pay, but I'm not worried for it. And I think a lot of people probably have similar feelings in that the Bucks have proven to be awful for the most part at drafting the first round, especially um, when you, like we discussed on the last podcast before it got totally uh, invalidated, when you are a competitive team and you have a superstar who's like flirting with free agency, especially, um, this is just what happens with your picks. Like it's not nearly to the same extent where you're going years and years and years out and you're just doing totally unprotected, but we knew we had to make an upgrade somewhere like a splashy upgrade. The rest of the league knew we had to make a splashy upgrade and New Orleans happened to be the one that had Drew Holiday. He happened to be the guy that was of a high enough caliber that you could get an immediate replacement for Eric Bledsoe, which was goal number one besides getting Giannis under contract was an Eric Bledsoe replacement. And so when you factor in our interior, like the interior pressures, the pressures that everybody outside of the Bucks could recognize and understand what the situation was, it wasn't surprising to me that we had to toss that many. And once you kind of then also heard that Boston was interested, I don't know if Philly was interested or maybe Brooklyn was interested in Drew Holiday. Like there were other competitive Denver rival- was too. Denver was too. So there were other rival teams that were also in on him. And when you combine all that david griffin had us over the barrel like that's just that is what it is and i think no matter who we had traded for assuming we had gone ahead with a trade we would have had to give up something like this because literally every all other 29 teams had the advantage over us and they knew that and that's just that's reflected out in the draft compensation we gave out what do you think kyle 
I guess. Like, was it a lot to give up? Sure. Let's say it was. But it won't matter if Giannis signs the Supermax in a couple days. It won't matter if Giannis doesn't sign the Supermax, but Milwaukee wins the title. It will only matter if the Bucks completely crater to the bottom of the standings. And even then, they'll still try and find a way to make up those picks. Maybe they trade Brooke Lopez to get some first rounders. Maybe they trade Chris Milton. You know, that's a problem for, you know, five years down the road. And I had put a tweet out there. John Horse is thinking, well, if Giannis leaves, I'm not going to have a job. Like, I'm probably not going to be here. So that's next GM's problem. I need to win this championship. I need to make a win now move. And that's kind of the reality of it. Milwaukee needed to make a win now move. Milwaukee needed to make an upgrade. And after seeing what um, Phoenix had to give up for Chris Paul, you knew it was going to be a steep price as well to get Drew Holiday. Now, if this was someone like Patty Mills and you gave up the same package, then there would be some alarm bells ringing off. Then there would be some concern. But for someone like Drew Holiday, who immediately upgrades the point guard position for Milwaukee, immediately makes this team, a t- keeps them in title contention, and you know what he can bring to the table. Drew Holiday also has a player option, so after the summer he might leave. So it makes it a little bit tougher, but at the same time you might have some cap relief. It, it's just kind of tough that you know you can't, the Bucks had to do something, and that's the reality of it. They had to do something, and they made the move that they feel will either get them a championship and slash or get Giannis to stay. And if you accomplish one of those two things, it was already worth it alone. And you can't sit here and criticize Milwaukee for not doing anything or complain that the Bucks weren't trying to make moves or weren't they didn't go for Chris Paul. You can't complain about that. And then they do make this move and then eventually they make another move and sit here and say, well, Milwaukee gave up too much. You're in the win now situation. And when you're in win now, who cares what you're going to do in 2025? Because if you win a championship now, that doesn't matter in 2025. All we're going to remember is, oh, yeah, we had that championship because of it. It's an interesting predicament. I, I want to get into all of those kind of future focused things later because I, I actually do think it's a it's a fascinating conversation about team building. We haven't really been in this position before where the Bucks have cashed literally every single chip in for a championship. We've seen them do it to some slighter degree to like for like an eight seed or something. <laughs> do some do some stupid fringe move, uh, but certainly not to this extent. So of course, I think around an hour hour after we found out about the Drew Holiday trade. Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer said that Bucks are going to be pursuing Bogdan Bogdanovich in a sign-in trade, kind of something we've been hearing about, I would say, almost all summer. And then know, a couple minutes later, Woj confirms it, and the Bucks are doing a sign-in trade. So they are receiving Bogdan Bogdanovich and uh, Justin James. Uh, second year, he'll be a second-year wing. He's like a second-round pick out. Wait, wait, of- wait, Kyle, can you just give us your scouting report from Twitter? I thought that really summed it up quite well. Yeah, you let can me pull it up for a second here, but <laughs> Justin James, I honestly had to do a quick Google search to see who that was because, like, I don't, I've never heard of this guy in my life. I don't know who he is. I don't even know if he's good. Is he a real player? Lots of questions that went through my head. But long story short, on Justin James, he was the he was a second round pick for the Sacramento Kings. I think he was picked like fifty nine, so he was near the bottom. He is a six seven wing that played at Wyoming. Um. That's it. That's all I knew. That's all I put. And that's all I think the relevant information that was needed. (laughs) Yeah, that was way more than anybody else had in terms of intel. So I appreciated that. And I think that sets the conversation, the tone for the conversation. 
Well, we got to do Brew Hoop. I promise you, we will reach out to the Wyoming sister site we have. We will, we, I ensure you will get the deets on Justin James. I searched before this, I searched Justin James draft profile. Literally nothing showed up. It was just the Draft Express empty hollow shell that they have left that said he was picked like whatever. Uh, anyway, so the, so Bucks, Bucks received those two. Obviously, the key is Bogdan Bogdanovich. Justin James is basically just a dude to fill out the roster, which is something we'll get into later given their limited ability to do so. But in exchange, the um, excuse me, the Kings get Ursan Ilyasova, DJ Wilson, and Dante DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo, of course, being the centerpiece of the deal. Yes, I'm seeing Riley slowly start to pour one out. It is a sad day for the uh, for the DiVincenzo stands. Like I like I've said though, please Bucks Pro Shop get those jerseys on clearance. I promise you that they will go quickly. I'm happy to get as many as I need to to uh, to make sure that DiVincenzo is worth it for uh, for what he's going to bring to the franchise. But anyway. So the Bucks get Bogdan Bogdanovich essentially reshape their entire roster. So I want to talk about Drew and Bogdan Bogdanovich's. Let's talk about Bogdan Bogdanovich, I guess, just in general. We we've heard about this all offseason. He seemed like he was going to be a target from the Bucks for the Bucks for a while. First impressions, Kyle. How do you think Bogdan fits? How do you think uh, he might fill? What role do you think he'll fill for the Bucks this season? Well, it's interesting because when we were hearing this all summer, it made sense. He's a guard. He's a combo guard, someone that can do some playmaking, someone that can do some ball handling, but primarily is going to be, you know, more or less replacing what Wes Matthews did, but do it at a higher level offensively. He's able to score. You can shoot from three. He's got the mid-range ability, can get to the rim. So more than what we saw from Wes last year, I think he was the kind of guy that, you can have him play off of Chris and Giannis. And if Milwaukee needed a basket, that would be a guy that you could turn to. That is a guy that maybe while we don't love the tough shot express, sometimes you just got to have those type of bucket getters. And that's what Bogdan gave the impression for me. I figured the deal was going to be reasonably okay. If you had to do a sign and trade, it was going to involve Bledsoe. In that case, I was like, fine, do it. You got to make that move. The fact that they gave up Urson, DJ Wilson, and Dante completely caught me off guard because I figured that this seems like an unfair deal for the Kings. So King King's going to Kings. Um, but I, I think that I'm excited about, it. I think he's going to be a guy that he's probably going to have, you know, those few playoff games where he's going to get hot and score 20 or 30 points and be key for Milwaukee winning. I think that's why you get a player like him is maybe there's a wall and Giannis can't be as effective as possible. Maybe Chris just has a struggle for a shooting night, then you have this other guy that can do stuff around the perimeter to give you more of a chance instead of, you know, plan B being okay, or plan C, I should say, where Giannis can't get going, Chris can't get going, fine, we're just going to do a bunch of post-ups with Brooke Lopez. Now you have this guy who can maybe hit a couple threes, who can get some mid-range shots, who can facilitate, who can play make. He's going to be able to give Milwaukee a dimension offensively that they just haven't gotten from anyone other than the closest thing I think of is Jabari Parker. And while we love Jabari and he had that offensive ability, at least he's not going to be as much of a defensive issue. Uh, Bogdan won't be as much of a defensive issue as Jabari. So I'm, I was all, I was in favor of it. Even if they hadn't make the drew holiday trade, just because he was a guy that Milwaukee needed to counter the wall that they're going to see in the playoffs. I would echo a lot of Kyle's thoughts. Um, It's, He's an interesting guy because he's already 28, 
So he's not necessarily your typical, like when you think of sign and trade, you think of Malcolm where they're coming off their rookie deal. Yes, this was his rookie deal, but he's an old rookie because I think he got drafted and stayed in Europe for a couple of years. Um, he's got a really long winning pedigree, like everywhere, every league he's ever been in overseas, uh, he won in. He didn't win in Sacramento, but like if That's, Jesus no one back, ever got that. <laughs> Jesus wouldn't be able to win with Sacramento. So if Christ himself couldn't do it, I don't hold against Bogdan for not being able to. Um, he, he's interesting in that he's he could still potentially be a trade piece down the road. Like he's young enough where if he has a good season or two, if Budenholzer is able to put him in the system and he like excels, he could definitely, we've seen it with other guys, he can boost his value here. Um, so that might be a longer term play. He gets you a little bit younger. And like Kyle said, I think he fits what Wes Matthews could do. He's like a career 37% three-point shooter in the NBA his three-point attempt rate is like it was like 57% last year. So you're looking for a guy who shoots a lot of threes but can do a little bit of everything. And what's interesting in the you know, for me, him offensively is the fact that he will probably, assuming Boonholzer doesn't just stick to an archetype of like, here's what our two guard does. He gives you a lot more variety and tools that he can work with, whether it be like in a motion offense. Like Kyle said, a lot of like tough shot express stuff. If you watch YouTube videos, you're like this dude loves <laughs> loves taking tough shots. Um, and so that's could be a problem, but the fact that he is able to hit from all three levels reliably and has the athleticism to do it i think that's going to be the difference for the upgrade from west matthews like if west comes back that'd be great but i'm just looking at like west but more athletic and able to do a little bit more if he's you know called upon in any sort of offensive situation so i i'm i'm looking forward to it uh we have to wait to see what the contract looks like but uh i think overall it's probably if the biggest thing you have to give up is Dante, who we all love, but you know, is he going to be able to produce at the level that Bogdan is going to be able to, if you had to get Dante into the starting lineup, I think that's an open question. And so that's why I'm not too worried about this move. It's interesting. We, we spent last year saying, here's how we will replace Malcolm Brogdon. We will give some of his shots to Chris Middleton. We will give some to George Hill. We'll give some to Wes Matthews. They're, I think it was Eric name, but there's been other people who are like, there's not one player who replaces Malcolm Brogdon. It feels like the Bucks now have shifted back to the idea of, okay, we're going to get a superior player who can do a couple of these, these multiple different things. You know, Wes could be a spot up shooter. That was basically all he was used for out there. So then you get a guy like Bogdanovich who has a bit of multiplicity to his game, has a few more facets to him that he's able to do. Drew is obviously you know, built in a similar way. He's an interesting conversation. So I, I have a couple numbers here for Bogdanovich. I'm just going to run run by you guys. And so I, I think this was one of the, the, feel free to react as you will. This was one of the huge reasons is I was just looking at some catch and shoot numbers. So he shot 40.7% on five three-point attempts per game last year. And those are all catch and shoot. The year before he was 40% as well on a little smaller volume, 3.6. I was looking at the Bucks. Here's here here are some of their shooters. So George Hill led the team at 50%, but that was only on 1.6 attempts per game. Chris, as you would guess, 45.2% on 2.9 attempts per game. He's got the ball in his hands a lot. He likes to make his own shot. We all know that. Kyle Korver, bless his heart, 43.2% on 3.3 attempts per game. Wes, 37.7% on 3.6 attempts. So Pretty close, but on smaller volume, of course. Um, and then Dante, 
35.2% on 2.8 attempts per game. So I'm kind of, I'm picturing Bogdanovich as when they see them, if West does not come back, I think they view Bogdanovich as basically the conglomeration of Dante even of six players on the roster. Like, yeah, it's like Dante. Well, but then like I think Dante and Wes. Yeah. Now, Bogdanovich, a couple other numbers. Not a great pull-up game. When I looked at it, it was twenty-eight point eight percent on two three-point attempts per game. So not great. So when he you see him shoot those shots, you probably don't want him shooting those shots. Of mm-hmm. course he probably won't shoot that shot that often. He got very used to getting assisted three-pointers last year. The one thing that was a little heartening was he had 6.7 drives per game last year, which is decent. It's not huge, but it's decent. Um, And I'd be curious if you guys could guess who, even in a limited sample size, was third last year in terms of drives per game on the Bucs. My gut wants to say George Hill. Yeah, that's a pretty good that's that's a good lookout. Brooke Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, I will always drive the train for Brooke should drive more. He's yes. really good at it. But um no, it was Frank Mason at six point three. Okay. So it, it, <laughs> the it limited made, sample size should have been the thing that tipped us off there. Yes, yeah, yeah. But so essentially it was like the pecking order for drives per game and drives, you know, you can take or leave it. But regardless of what you want to think about it, there was clearly a hole left when Brogdon left. Um, so it was like Bledsoe at around 11, Giannis at 10. Then it dipped all the way down to Chris at around 5. George was around like 4.8. So Bogdan was willing to do that, and he was he, he passed out of it quite a bit, which I would say is something that is a good sign because he wasn't the greatest finisher at the rim. Yeah. So anyway, I've thrown a lot of numbers at you. I don't know. I still don't know a whole lot about Bogdan Bogdanovich, but he does feel like, like, like you guys were both saying, one of those players that offers a couple different facets that the Bucks were very clearly missing last year and trying to sort of – piece together and, and, you know, make a Frankenstein together, the kind of player that they were really clearly looking for. Yeah. I, I think first off, I should fully admit, I don't watch a lot of Kings basketball, so I can't claim to have watched a lot of tape either before this on YouTube highlights or like Kings games in general. But the biggest thing that I'm looking at here is like, again, like I said earlier, Budenholzer gets guys. He is able to, even though we have the system and he was we were really dedicated to the system, he's able to identify what these guys do well and craft around that. And the fact that Bogdanovich was able to put up as good of numbers as he did in the general train wreck that was Sacramento uh, or that can be Sacramento, I can imagine this guy coming in like, I'm not expecting like a huge jump in a lot of the stats, but maybe it gains in efficiency. Maybe there's better spacing around. He's playing with better teammates. And so his quality of shots that he gets goes up. You know, I think it's going to be the one thing I'm worried about is like he got a good number of shots while he was in Sacramento. And with this team, with the starting five, um, it, it was perfect with Wes because he didn't, compared to the other starters, he didn't take all that many possessions off the board unless it was like a catch and shoot three. That's the only thing I'd be worried about is like the growing pains of how do you adjust and make sure Brooks getting his shots. Giannis is obviously going to have the ball a lot. Chris still staying in rhythm. Um, Drew, obviously you would assume is going to have the ball a lot too as the lead guard. So that would be the one thing I'm concerned about. Um, But overall, I think it's just good that you have a guy with as much talent as as much experience as this guy does and just see what Budenholzer is able to build in with like essentially a younger slash more versatile offensively Wes Matthews. Hopefully we'll see. And I think that's kind of the good thing as well in that he's not going to be expected to be that guy. So maybe 
I, it, he wasn't one of those guys that would ch- wasn't a chucker when it forced bad shots. But now that his responsibility is a little bit lower, he might not have he he doesn't have to take those shots because he's the only guy on the floor that can do it. You know, he's going to look around. And yeah, you have Drew, you have Middleton, you have Giannis, you have Brooke. He's going to be able to pick and choose when he needs to. If he's in a rhythm, you let him keep going. Obviously, if he doesn't, if he's not in a rhythm, then you have four other guys that are going to make sure that. Well, we're not going to let you continue taking these bad shots. We're not going to let you continue to throw up brick after brick. And I think that's the tough part with Eric Bledsoe was, and the team last year was, okay, Giannis isn't going. Chris isn't going. Bledsoe has to be that guy to get going. If Bledsoe's not going, you're kind of going reverting back to, okay, well, do we just continue throwing up bad shots after bad shots? And I think with Bogdan, he's going, I think he'll adjust to it. And that's something that Boonehoser will need to do during the regular season. It, it won't matter how bad he struggles in the regular season. If Bogdan has at least feel if, if he understands the system by the end of the year, if he feels comfortable by the playoffs, that's why you're making this move. You're not making this move to you know be the number one seed in the East. You're making this move to see, okay, can this work out in the playoffs? Can this get past Miami? Can this potentially get past a Brooklyn or a Philly or Boston? Those are the type and even Toronto. Like those are the type of teams that you have to make sure that the system and these players can beat. You're not trying to you know, if this was two years ago when Milwaukee had just fired Jason Kidd and brought in Budenholzer, then yeah, you bring this guy to see, okay, will they make us better? Now it's, will they win us a championship? My one thing for you guys, watching some of the YouTube clips and just looking at like the numbers, does he kind of seem like a clone a little bit of Chris Middleton? Just like his play style, his size. I'm, I'm curious, like, are we replicating sort of a little bit what Chris does? And also, do we have concerns about him? I've heard that he's not like super great on defense and he might be, I don't know if he's a little slow to guard a lot of combo guards or like smaller guards in the league. So like, are there any concerns that you guys have about Bogdanovich? Cause it's easy to look at like all the offensive skill set and be like, Oh, this is as long as we're able to build the system, it should be good. But are there any concerns at all that you guys have? I say defense is probably mine, but I have to, I have to admit I certainly did not watch enough Kings games for me to really understand whether he's like, um, yeah, whether he's lazy, whether he's a liability to the point where when you're in the finals, they target him every single play. Um, But I also think he will benefit significantly from the fact that even if teams are targeting him and I mean, beyond he has to fight around screens and stuff. I mean, he has two of the best rim protectors in the league behind him, right? Like those, that, that is kind of, I think that's probably part of horse calculus here is that he's thinking, okay, even if we get someone who's a little deficient, you know, defensively, what we really need is someone who's going to be able to be gung-ho on offense and, and pick us up when when we're clearly struggling. Um, and and I, I think that's, I think there's certainly probably some drawbacks, drawbacks with Bogdan. I mean, there's a reason he's not like a max player and he's getting paid even less than Malcolm Brogdon, but you know, in terms of what the Bucks are looking for and the type of player that I think Horst really wants to see. I mean, that, that's what struck me about both of these moves is both of these players seem so Horstian. He he wants guys who are like who who can pass, dribble, and shoot. It's it's Horstian. It's 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 Buddyan guys with seemingly really high character. I mean, that was the biggest thing for me to take away from the Drew Holiday trade is there were no talks on Chris Paul, uh, reported by Chris Mannix. Clearly. Giannis didn't want him. The Bucks organization didn't want him. The the sort of no assholes policy has gone all the way to the top. And, and Drew Holiday, from from top to bottom, seems like 
a clear character fit with the organization, which also I'm sure they're hoping will allow them to re-sign him should he opt out of his player option following this year. Yeah, I guess my only concern about Bogdan is if he doesn't, kind of like what you're saying, Riley, his adjustment, and if he doesn't hit the ground running or if he struggles that first year and say the Bucks fall short of expectations, whether it, even if, if they lose in the second round again, let's just say, even if Giannis decides that Supermax, then you're kind of looking like, okay, now we have this guy that cost us 18 million. Is it going to be a repeat of blood? So of, okay, we had a bad playoff series. Was it just a one-off or is this more of a lingering concern? And it's going to be a little bit harder to kind of offload that contract because it is still, you know, give or take 18 million for a guy that is, you know, going to be 29. Then you're starting to get to the thirties, which, and then you're kind of going back to, okay, if you have to get rid of this contract and you, you don't have any assets. So it's kind of like, if he doesn't play well, then you're kind of stuck with it, but that's more of a worst case scenario situation. Assuming he stays healthy, obviously, if he does, if he's not healthy, then that's going out the window. But I don't think the only concern I would have is that adjustment. And, I don't think I have that much concerns about him defensively because worst case, you could just put him on, you know, whatever ball handler is there, kind of like the James Harden approach where James Harden is terrible as a help defender, but as an on-ball defender, he's passable. I, I think you could do the same thing with Bogdan, but it's just hopeful that he is able to find a rhythm and doesn't, you know, start off on the wrong foot. The last point, then we can start talking about Drew a little bit more. I think the only thing that would, not the only thing, but one of the things that does give me hearts compared to like worries about fit and everything, uh, he had to have pushed a little bit to like get to Milwaukee. There was, I mean, Kevin O'Connor and even in the months leading up to, there was like, oh, the Bucks are going to sell him on like winning now and like how it'll fit in the system and everything like that. So it's not a situation where you're trading for a guy you know, relatively sight unseen and like hoping that the fit works. I think that there probably has been discussions along the way about how exactly he would fit in with Milwaukee and how best he could be utilized. And so if that's the case, that that gives me a little bit hard of, it's still going to take time for the actual on-court product to catch up to that. But philosophically, mentally, they should hopefully be on the same page of what are we expecting from you heading into this year? Um, And we'll just, hopefully it works out. I don't know, cross our fingers. Yeah, I do really want to get back to Drew, though, because when you think about what this team is going to be, I mean, he's the one who they really paid the paid the biggest price for. If they win it, if they win a championship, very clearly he's the swing piece. There's the obvious substitution of Eric Bledsoe and George Hill, swap them out, put in Drew Holiday. So, Kyle, what is it about Drew Holiday that you think Horst saw that is clearly going to make the difference and put them over the top? Because he bet, I mean, he bet his job on this on this move. I think what Horst saw was a guy who can be the lead guard and be the playmaker, but when push comes to shove, he can take the shots himself. He can create he can create the shots that are going that's going to be needed. And I think that's what John Horst saw. I think he saw he knew he could not keep Eric Bledsoe. So he had to find an upgrade. And like we said, Chris Ball was not talked about. That probably would have been the guy that you think of with this roster, with the roster that we initially thought of as is, that would be the one to take to the next level. Now, when you add Bogdan and you have the starting five, the starting five offensively is going to cause teams a lot of trouble. And I think that's what John Horst saw. But then you add in the defensive capabilities, and Drew Holiday is a really good defender. 
Is he going to be all NBA caliber like Eric Bledsoe? Maybe not. But he is still a very good defender that you, I mean, you can swap out Bledsoe and Holiday and you're not going to have a significant drop off defensively. You're probably going to keep the same level, if not a slightly lower level. But he's just, he is the guy that you, that's someone that I know Dan Schaefer was saying at the trade of like, this is the guy you should go for. This is the one that you should make the move for because he's going to be, he can get to the hoop. He can shoot the ball. He can do some playmaking. He's got kind of like what we were saying with Bogdan. He's got the offensive capability to change games and be that next option if things don't go well or if teams put up that wall. Drew Holiday has the ability to break said wall or at least exploit the wall. And I think that's why Horse made the move that he did. And I think when you add in the character side of it, you add in he's just going to be the out of all the players that you can get in a trade. He was probably the second best one you can get besides Chris Paul in terms of talent and ability. But in terms of fit, in terms of even salary cap ramifications and roster construction, it made a lot more sense to go for him than it would be to go for an older, much higher contract Chris Paul. And I think just the no asshole thing, while I don't think the no asshole policy is really the best approach anymore, especially because you kind of need an asshole to win the title. If there's someone that you want to have on the court for their leadership, if you want someone that's going to be more of a calming presence, Drew Holiday ticks all those boxes. If I was to narrow down as to what it was that turned Horst on to Drew Holiday, my two things would be one, he saw all those compilations of um, Matt Barnes on all the smoke uh, that everybody was tweeting out yesterday about everyone being like, Drew Holiday is underrated. And he was like, well, if everybody says he's underrated. And then the other thing he saw was, because we know John Horace loves short series of games just to gather his information, the series against Portland where New Orleans swept Portland and Drew made Dame Lillard's life hell. Uh, I think those two things would probably be what got it over the line. But if you're to look beyond just those two segments – um, I think you guys bring up good points. You have the culture fit, you have the leadership fit, um, you have the defense. I mean, it's, there's a possibility he's as good. Maybe, you know, it's, it'll be slightly different. I don't think he's going to be blowing up dudes at the point of attack. But, you know, if you watch Drew Holiday at all, I mean, he sticks to his guy like glue. It's not so much like a physical, like blowing you up when you get the ball, but it, he does stay on you. And I think that's going to help ease and keep the system of defense, which I think. Most people agree that, I mean, we have quibbles about it because it gives up a lot of threes or it was at the end of last season, but the core principle of the defense, you can still keep that for the most part in place because you have a guy who's still able to hedge and shade with guards who are coming off of pick and rolls into Brook in the zone drop. So I think you keep the defense and overall, it just seems if you look at a lot of the different numbers and from what a lot of that you read or that you look around on, he, he seems to play a little bit more intelligent than Eric. It's not that Eric was like a totally unintelligent player, but there was like questionable shot, you know, taking every once in a while. Um, He would commit too early when he was driving to the basket and like not leave himself with a good option to either score or to pass out of it. Um, I think what we're looking at is a guy who's maybe a little slightly better of a playmaker um, and just, just plays tighter, but in a good way in that he's not making as many like mistakes where you're starting from behind the eight ball from the get go from your guard. Um, I think we have to see how he does mentally in the playoffs. Um, He seemed to do really well against Portland, but that was just his, you know, most recent experience. Where does it go from there? That that's an open question. Um, I I, I just think 
you look at it and it's like, it's slightly be- better, Eric. We roll the dice, see hopefully it works out better for us. Because if you are able to go into next playoffs and you have a point guard who isn't actively hurting you out there, I mean, that solves a lot of problems for Milwaukee, I think. Um, and, and sure, maybe he isn't box score wise very different from Eric, but you don't need very different from regular season Eric. You just need somebody who's like regular season Eric in the playoffs. And I think that's the gamble they're making and why they ended up giving up so much. And I think it's a smart gamble. I think you want some level of continuity, but just you get rid not get rid of Eric. It sounds super callous, but you upgrade at that position, which is the goal number one. They did that. That's what Drew does. That's why he's here now. So if they if they just needed a little if they just needed regular season Eric in the playoffs, that if if that's what if that's the argument, I I think they overpaid then. I mean, like, why would you need someone who's this good? I I, I think there might be people who would say I I'm a fan of the trade, but what about people who say maybe they're overvaluing point of attack defense? Like they're saying. We need someone who is just as good as Eric on defense and will be as good as he's supposed to be in the regular season in the playoffs. And then they make a massive, massive trade for someone who kind of fits that. I mean, what what would you say to that? Don't we sit around here all the time talking about how Eric is the third part of our big three in the regular season? He's he's one of the guys that makes it go. Are we going to pretend that if, if he sucked all the time in the regular season, he'd be <laughs> as good as we were? I mean... There's a reason why we tried with this dude for three seasons because he's that valuable in the regular season. And then you keep going in the playoffs and it, it could be an anxiety thing. It, there's a whole bunch of different factors. It is what it is. But he just, he did not, he, we had to rely on George Hill, who was like, thank God we got him to get us through against Boston and like try and hope to get us through against Toronto. And it, and it almost worked. But the issue is throughout the regular season, I think everybody agrees. There's a reason why Eric was liked is because he's a good player, like a really good player. And he provided... He's probably the best point guard since like the early 2000s, nothing against Brandon, but like overall. So when you're looking at that in totality, I would just say, you know, don't let the bad Eric that we saw in the playoffs affect the view that we had of him in the regular season, which is one of the best guards in the league on both ends of the floor. And he's a unique player. And so if you're able to get that, replicate that production and then bring that into the playoffs, Again, the issue is you're starting the playoffs with your lead point guard, the guy who's going to have the ball the most, not playing well. Like you, you have to have a point guard that's able to play at that level to help Giannis and Chris out. That would be my rebuttal. I don't know if that's convincing or not. My rebuttal is who else were you going to bring in? <laughs> you can't run it back. We, we've said multiple times. You cannot well, run what it if back. They, Kyle, cannot. what if they made like what if they made one of the fringe moves we've talked about? One of the fringe smaller moves we talked about with Mitchell last week. Let's say they bring in Patty Mills, Derek White, one of those moves. But they're not better than Drew Holiday. Like you you're making this move because you're trying to get someone that is an upgrade. I know I have said in the past, I don't care if the player is worse than Eric Bledsoe, you can't have Eric Bledsoe. But if you have the chance to get someone that's significantly better than Eric Bledsoe, whether it's playoff Bledsoe or regular season Bledsoe, you have to make the move. You have a window to win a championship. You have to make these calculated risks. Is it paying too much? Fine, sure, yes. But when you have a championship opportunity, you make whatever move you think is going to take you to that next level. And if taking you to that next level is being better than regular season Eric Bledsoe, then that is the move, and that's not, and that's three first-round picks and Eric Bledsoe and George Hill, then you make that move to make to win that championship. If this was a team, if like we were saying, if this was a team that was competing for the A seed, 
yeah, that's a bad idea. If this was a team that wasn't even hoping to be one of the best teams in the East, yeah, that's an issue. But this is a team that we expect to win an NBA title. I think most people would expect to, at the very least, make the Eastern Conference Finals. So you have to do it. You have to do it. You can't run it back. You had to find an upgrade. There was an upgrade that was available. And if you look at the alternatives, no one is better than Drew Holiday. What would you say, Adam? What would you say to the haters? I know you said you're in favor of the trade, so you're not you don't <laughs> consider yourself a hater. But what would you? What would your argument be? I mean, it, I summed it up last night. If you're not going to go for it now, when when the hell are you going to go for it? I mean, you have the bet. You have who is probably you have probably the best player the Bucks will ever ever have if he signs the Supermax. Giannis will go down as the best Milwaukee Bucks player of all time. It took 50 years for us to get that guy. <laughs> it took 50 I'm not going years. to play without another one of these guys. I'm not doing it. <laughs> it, it took 50, 50 years, years. some luck. <laughs> yes. Like an incredible amount. And is it in a vacuum? Is it an overpay? I would say semi-egregious overpay, given mm-hmm. the fact that I was just listening to Zach Lowe's podcast. He's talking about – he laid out this exact trade that – I forget, I think Brooklyn would make with maybe like a Karis LeVert or something, which like you can go whatever with him. But I'd say regular season, he's just as good as Eric Bledsoe. He laid out this exact trade for James Harden, who is better than Drew Holiday. So it's an overpay. Drew Holiday has not made an all-star team partially because he's in the Western Conference, but there's a reason James Harden has made the yeah, we, we, we need to correct the record. You keep talking about how he's not an all-star. He was an all-star in 2013, sir. You keep putting it in all your articles. Do I really? Yeah, you, you put he that in He made it in 2013 times. ahead of Brandon Jennings, <laughs> and we were all pissed off, and we had campaigned for Brandon Jennings, and it never happened. Oh, that's right, yeah. I would, yeah. <laughs> While he was well, I was trying to, I was trying to, I'm trying to light his fire, know, guys. Okay, I'm just trying to get him all excited. <laughs> Drew, we need you to we need you to step up. The oh, the other thing, in addition to everything you said, so yes, I don't know. It's so hard to like. Again, everybody in the league knew what our problem was. Like we were going to get taken to the cleaners no matter what. But also, in addition to all that, like th- this also by Friday or whenever Saturday, whenever Giannis is able to sign a supermax, all this might be like totally moot because if you needed a move that he perceives to be of a high enough quality of like committing and going quote all in. I mean, maybe you didn't need to trade all those first rounders to be considered all in, but if he's like, I recognize drew holiday as like an upgrade or as like a big move, a move that you guys are committing in addition to like, maybe we sign him to an extension or we figure out like a, a deal. If he opts out of his player option, whatever, if that's the move that he signed off on and said, you guys do this and I'm in, and if there were no other players viable options that were like a lesser option, like a Patty Mills, like a Derek White, you know, somebody who was a lesser might just sort of get by for you. And he's like, that's not going to be good enough. I mean, what are you going to do? Like you said, Giannis is the best player in 50 years. If he signs the Supermax and continues on, he's probably going to be the best player in franchise history. You got to do what you got to do. I mean, that's just that that is one of the other driving reasons to why Drew is now here. Also, if a rival team were to make the same trade, Maybe if they had made this trade, made a trade, say Boston, if they made a trade and got Drew Holiday, we found out what it was. We would have said, what the hell are you doing, horse? Why did you not pull the trigger on this fucking trade? We would have been, we immediately would have been like, okay, you know what? Giannis needs to leave. Screw this. This is dumb. 
we would have lambasted whores. We would have said this ownership group is a bunch of incompetent idiots. We would have said that Wes Eden spends too much time trying to make Aston Villa a thing that's never going to be a thing. We would have found every possible slight that this organization has done in the past 10 years. Well, okay, the organization under this ownership for the past five years. We would have found every complaint and said the all of these reasons is why Giannis is going to sign the Supermax. And it would have been a negative hellscape today on Buck's Twitter. It, you had to make the move. I mean, let's look at the last... 10 first round picks that Milwaukee has made 2010 Larry Sanders who we're still paying but personal issues kept him out 2011 Jimmer Fredette part of that deal with Tobias Harris and everything 2012 John Henson ended up overpaying had to ship him with some assets just to get off his salary 2013 Giannis great crushed it 2014 Jabari wash injuries kind of made things a little bit tougher 2015 Rashad Vaughn bust 2016, you didn't have a, you had Thon Maker, bust. 2017, DJ Wilson, bust. 2018, Dante DiVincenzo, <laughs> which you were able to use to get Bogdan Bogdanovich. What were you going to do with those first round picks, especially if you, if you keep Giannis, it's still in the 30s. If you don't keep Giannis, you find a way to make up losing those picks. It is what it is. You had to make the move. Otherwise, we would have been slandering horse and saying horse out if he had not done it. And say Boston does. That's fair. When you can get an all star like Drew Holiday, yeah, as I've go. always there said, we go. as I've yes. always said, yes, yeah. Herb Cole, Herb Cole, he he cracked a little smile at that. He's like, "That's my marketing campaign. That's what we're." <laughs> Herb Cole's like, "Wait, you? Why would you not give up any draft picks to get a player, regardless yeah, of on. if they're good or not?" <laughs> yeah. Okay, so. I want to talk a little bit about how the Bucks will fill out the rest of their roster. So, mm. what do you mean? He, We're going to fill out the rest of the roster? We're going so to have to do that. players from Aston Villa. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Here are who the Bucks have on their roster right now: <laughs> Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday, All Star, Bogdan Bogdanovic. Stop. And we're good. Thank you. Thanasis <laughs> Antetokounmpo, wing depth, and Justin James. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's, that's who's under contract right now with with your Milwaukee Bucks. That's seven guys, right? Let's count that up. That's seven dudes. That, that is seven. seven people. So as as our fearless leader Mitchell has has pointed out, the Bucks are now because of the sign and trade effectively hard capped. So they have around fifteen million, fifteen point six million to fill out that spot. Fill out fill out the rest of their roster. So veteran minimum deal veteran minimum deals are around one point six million, and then. As we know, they also recent they also were able to acquire the forty second and sixtieth pick in tomorrow's draft. So that is very beneficial in terms of being able to fill out their roster with really low paying low paid guys who are around nine million each. So, Riley, any fear in terms of how they're going to be fill fill out the roster, or are you bullish on their ability to do so? Yeah, this is a really good question. So. I think they'll be able to get guys in. They've proven able to, especially with Budenholzer. I mean, again, there's, there's a lot of baggage with the guy, but he is a good coach, and it seems like he has some good relations with players. He's able to like convince guys to come in. Uh, that might mean we get like the Jeff T, Paul Millsap all-star lineup out there or something like that, but um, I, I think they'll probably be able to find one to two like ring-chasing vets. I don't imagine we're going to go like seven more deep with like dudes who are vets who are ready to go because there's not that many opportunities. Um, yeah, I guess I am concerned because it's going to be a lot of young dudes probably on the back of the bench because we already got the two picks. 
Wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks, because of the cap considerations, have to go on and buy even more picks to continue to like eke under to get enough players for enough warm bodies. Um, but I kind of came not to the realization, but to an acceptance of in the past couple of seasons, we've been really big on the fact that we can run nine to 11 to 12 dudes deep. And that's super helpful in the regular season. And if we're not able to do the same this year, we are probably going to suffer in the regular season, assuming we want to keep some level of like load management going on. But when it counts most, assuming you don't get hit by the by an injury bug. By the playoffs, if your rotation is like the five starting five, which I think we agree is on paper really good, and then like two the, you know, like two ring chasing vets and vets and maybe like a third guy that hopefully sort of hits, or you're like a buyout guy maybe. I don't even know how that would even work heading forward, but like I think it'll be okay if we're able to get to the playoffs without any sort of significant injuries. And, you know, knock on wood, we haven't had that in the past two years. I think uh, Suki Hobson, like the physical therapy people and everybody at the organization should get a lot of credit. But um, I'm not worried if we avoid the injuries. And I think that can be the same for like a lot of other teams where if you sustain some injuries to big dudes, the season's going to be in the tank anyhow. So I'm not too concerned. It's just going to be really tight rope walking is all. I'm bullish that they'll be able to fill it out because horse wouldn't have done this side and trade. Otherwise, if horse didn't feel confident doing it, he doesn't make that side and trade in my opinion. And there are some good guys out there. You know, you have Paul Millsap, you have Jeff Teague, both of the Morris brothers, you know, DJ Augustine, someone that I think if we were able to bring him in and be a backup point guard, I would would jump over the moon at that prospect. You know, there's someone like Mello even. I I know people are trying to make Carmelo thing. He showed he at least has something left in the tank, but like those are guys that you can bring in for the vet minimum. Then you have these two draft picks. Second round picks are pretty much, if you can not be a complete disaster on the court, that's a win in terms of how you draft. And Milwaukee has done much better draft in the second round than the first round. So that helps <laughs> as well. Yeah. You can you can still bring in you know someone like Frank Mason. You can have these guys in two way contracts. I don't since there's not going to be a G League season. It sounds like we the herd had some really good guys in the G League that they can try and put on these two way contracts as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bullish that Milwaukee will figure out because realistically, you just have to sign three more players that actually would contribute to the rotation. Then you would have Thanasis. That would be at the end of the bench. Then you would have these two second-round draft picks at probably the end of the bench. Maybe Justin James is not terrible, and it's just because he plays for the Kings that everyone's just like, I don't know who this dude is. But if you can get two guys, there's your seven. There's your playoff rotation. Maybe throw in you know, an eighth and one of these draft picks hit. Like I, I feel bullish on it just because it's it seems like a daunting task, but – you don't have to get 15 players. If you can get, you know, 13 and use those other two for those buyouts down the road, that's totally fine. And again, if horse wasn't feeling confident on it, he doesn't do the sign and trade to essentially hard cap themselves. I agree. It's a good point. I think one of the reasons this is just a speculative theory, but I think one of the reasons they made these trades now before free agency has even started is to signal that they're very clearly going all in for a championship. So if you are a ring chaser, Milwaukee is a destination that you should want to go to. And I think it was especially important in terms of the optics. I'm not entirely sure why 
both either both Robin and Wes opted out. But in terms of the optics of two probably ring chasers kind of hopping on and then all of a sudden opting out of their contracts, that doesn't look super great for your franchise in terms of wanting to bring someone else in. So this is this is a pretty clear signal to the free agents out there that if you're interested, Milwaukee is kind of a, a place where you could go. And, and they do have pretty limited it sounds like they could use a little bit of the taxpayer mid-level, which is around 5.7. So they could use part of it for a couple people, but they're certainly going to be hamstrung. But I, I, I would agree with, with both of you that I'm, I'm pretty bullish in terms of what I think that I think Horst made these moves as sort of a signal to people who might want to come in and join the, join the Milwaukee Bucks this season. Is there anybody of the guys, the, just the straight up players who got sent out that you're so I think the main ones are like probably George Hill and Dante are the big losses or whatever. Um, any thoughts on the guys who got traded out at all? I think it's obviously you would want to have someone like George Hill, both because of what he can bring on the court, but what he brings off the court as well. He was still a pretty good player. He shot the ball really well. So I think it's really tough to find someone like him that you can rely on off the bench. And I mean, we were saying like if George Hill was the starting point guard next year, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for Milwaukee. It wouldn't be ideal, but it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. So losing him hurts as we saw a healthy Dante at least can do a variety of things and can, he's not going to be a complete negative on the court. It It's tough with the guard position. I feel like with the guard position, you really need to have someone that can give you serviceable minutes while with bigs, it's kind of a, just don't foul out in 10 seconds like Larry Sanders. It, it, it's just tough. It, it's going to be tough to replace those two, but that's why you make those trades is because you think you can find someone that can give you that same production. And it's with someone like George Hill at a less, at a lower cost. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm a little sad about Dante, but uh, I, I do want to, I mean, I do want to give a little shout out to Eric Bledsoe. I think that, I think we talked about him a little earlier Great, pretty great tenure in Milwaukee besides the awful playoff stuff. I mean, got blamed all the time for that kind of stuff. So, I would say pretty deservingly for having blown up every single time. The only one I don't completely blame him for is that Toronto series because everybody was terrible. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. that four game lose. Like, it wasn't just Bloodsoul. Like, Bloodsoul didn't help himself, but everyone was bad. The Boston yeah. and Miami series, yeah, that's all you. He, he did get COVID, and he came back yeah. after that. We don't know the severity of it. Then he came back into the bubble, weird environment. So, I mean, maybe not everything. There's a lot of, again, with everything, there's a lot of layers to all of this. So, yeah, I would agree. And also, I mean, it came in, and I would say pretty skeptical whether he was a good culture guy. But I, I think we sort of answered the fact that he is, if he's in the right spot. Seemed like he really fit in and enjoyed Milwaukee. Gave it an incredibly revealing interview for a professional athlete about how he's essentially nervous before every single game, which became a talking point for every commentator before every single playoff game. So kudos to him for being willing to be that open and honest played very, very well in the regular season. Overall, I I still think it was a fantastic, I mean, John Horst absolutely won that trade, giving up just a first round pick and Greg Monroe for Eric Bledsoe. I think that's a really, really good trade. The, The bummer was just, Resigning him, even though I think that deal was was still pretty good. Um, but Eric Bledsoe was a really good Milwaukee Buck, like you said, Riley. Probably the best point guard we've had since Sam Cassell, honestly. And uh, so kudos to him. So I'm not like like Kyle said, I'm not super concerned about replacing the productivity, just because I think they have guys who are able to do 
enough different things that they'll be able to fill in those gaps and find some people to fill in whatever sort of gaps remain. But um, I, I think they'll be able to fill in the rest of their roster. And I'm not super concerned about the people that they gave up at this point. Yeah, I'm kind of there too. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we are just fans of the team. So we're, you know, just kind of prisoners of the moment. And I have to hope that they're going to be able to make it work out. Otherwise, we're effed either way. So it doesn't matter which way uh, or the other. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's a testament to, like you guys said, the the no assholes policy and just like the, the character of the team these past couple of years. The first year was a lot of fun because we had so much, so much success and a lot of the guys were really likable. Um, it, I don't think any of the guys were that we sent out were like unlikable necessarily. They all seemed like really good guys. Ursan's like obviously like somehow a franchise legend. He'll probably be back after he gets bought up by Sacramento. So I'm not <laughs> I'm not doing a swan song for him because he's coming back. But like Dante, good guy. The fact that he went from lost rookie season to um, you know making something of himself sophomore year, and we'll see what he does in Sacramento. Uh, it's I think is probably the best to get an upgrade with Bogdan personally. Um, DJ, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> he seemed like a good guy, but like, you know, it's, that was a wash for sure. But again, a testament to all the guys that we did. If we, if we did lose anything, the production that worried about, but like just, uh, you know, the fact that they were such integral parts of what this team had become personality wise um, that, and Wes and Robin too. I mean, they were, they seem to be great teammates last year. So that's, that's the biggest thing that I'm not necessarily worried about, but that I lament uh, after all these transactions. And I will say we, we do rag on Eric Bledsoe. He did give it his all. He gave it his all. It's not like he took plays off. It's not like he was detrimental to team chemistry. He gave it his all. He was a good person. It just didn't work. And sometimes that happens. And, you know, I at least we knew that he tried. So it makes the it makes him leaving. It makes it tougher because it had to happen. But at the same time, it's not due to lack of effort. It was just lack of ability, I guess. Lack of luck. I don't know if it's lack of luck. I don't know if it's lack of ability. But I mean, with all those guys, they gave it their all. It does you know, there hasn't been reports of someone slacking off. There hasn't been like you can say with Jabari, maybe he phoned it in a few. Like maybe he had phoned it in before he had left. You can say that with Brandon Jennings. You can say that with Monte Ellis. You can say that with every all these other guys that we thought were the guys of the team. You can question whether they gave it their all, but with the group that is leaving, we can't question if they gave it their all. They, some of them just don't have the talent to be on a championship contending team. I want to give one final shout out here. We're kind of drawing down here before we do our second round pick draft uh, draft coverage here to uh, give a nice uh, heads up for who people should be looking out for. Um, I've been a pretty out and out, not hater, but like skeptic of the ownership uh, group. And there was probably a possibility or like some route this summer that they could have totally skipped out on going all in and paying the tax. But it, it seems like they did not. Um, they finally looks like they did commit and uh, they should be credited for that. Uh, it's not great when they take this long or there's so many ways to like try and, you know, prolong the uh, time when you get there, but it, it seems like they did it. So if they gave horse the green light, they said, you do what you got to do to get Giannis across the line. Do credit to them because not every ownership group would do that. Um, they do have billions of dollars, so it really shouldn't matter to them, but 
better late than never. <laughs> That's what I'm I saying. I mean, you look over at Houston and you see that owner is probably penny pinching at the moment. And if the Bucks ownership and horse are good at one thing, it's digging themselves out of the hole that they put themselves in. Yeah, if you guys thought the the Drew Holiday deal was highway robbery, wait until they see what they're charging us for second round picks tomorrow night or Wednesday night. It's going to get ridiculous out here. Are are you too afraid at all of of the future? Have you just been like, are you just going all in? Uh, like, it just in terms of the Bucks, like, are you afraid at all if things go sideways? I mean, because. I don't know. There might not are even you? be a 2021 at the when it's all said and done. Like we might start <laughs> off with the country in flames. COVID might there might not be a vaccine. COVID might destroy it. Like hell, I don't know if there's going to be a tw- a 2021 to look forward to in a couple months, let alone a 20, 2022 NBA season. I am slightly worried because it is a lot of eggs in one basket, but. I think it all, again, comes down to like this tension that everybody feels waiting for the Giannis decision, even though I think a lot of people now feel confident that he's going to get there. When he signs his name on the dotted line or whatever, that's going to lift such a weight off like the organization's shoulders, if it's for the full five years, which it sounds like it's going to be, that gives you five-year time horizon of like, that's a lot of money we're paying that guy, but he's worth it, and we can work around that. Um, it, it is nerve-wracking the immediate future, like this season, if he goes on and he's like, doesn't sign it, then yeah, I'd be worried like hell if he didn't sign the super Mac extension, I'd be like, we probably are going to be get screwed by like the cosmos. But if he signs it, I think that that would change the whole narrative around the franchise in a lot of different ways. And I think it would boost his stature personally, Giannis, you should sign the super Mac extension. Um, but it, as long as that gets across the line, which I think that's everything's trending that way. I, I'm not as worried just because we bought ourselves the second lease on life. And that's, that's the only thing you can ask for in the NBA It's just another chance to have the best player in the world and the best player in your franchise history there for a couple more seasons. No fear, Kyle. You're just all in. You're good. I, you know what? You make these moves to try and win in 2021. So do the moves that you gotta, you worry about the next couple of years after, if Giannis signs the Supermax, then you really have nothing to fear. I, I guess I'm feeling confident Giannis is going to sign the Supermax, which is why I'm not worried. But even if Giannis decided not to sign the Supermax, your goal is 2020. Your goal is this next season to win a championship, and that's your only goal, regardless of Giannis signs, regardless of Giannis doesn't sign. If you win a championship, all of it is all these moves are going to be worth it because that's why you make these moves. That's why you take these risks. That's why we care as much as we do because we want to see the Milwaukee Bucks win a championship. So is it a little bit naive on my part? Sure. But I I can't stress about 20. I can't stress about the future. If there's something that could be really special in the present. And, And what was, what was their strategy last year? Their team building strategy. It was continuity, but you could look at it another way. They, they team built scared. They said, let's just, yeah, it didn't work, but what if we just did it all again and like maybe it'll work out this time? They went out, John Horst in specific, this past year, whatever, on Monday, he went out and he said, that's not going to be the case this year. Like, yes, it's going to be hard as hell to fill out the roster. Yes, it's risky. Yes, we're giving up a lot of our future, but there are, they took this first step forward among a lot of other teams, a lot of other Eastern teams. And at this point, I would say they launched themselves right back to the top of the line of like, oh, these guys are contenders. If they tried, if they didn't do enough this week, 
where like vets are like, oh, Wes and Robin left and like they didn't even make any sort of splash or anything. Uh, are they like, what's the situation there? They, they went out and they said, that's not going to be the case. We're doing something totally different. Um, and I applaud them for it because I think it, we tried it twice. It didn't work. You have to go and you have to be aggressive with it. And that's what they did. So kudos to them. Maybe it'll blow up, but they didn't, you know, at least you can say they tried doing it. You know, they didn't go down quietly. I 100% agree. I'm really glad they did this. And if everything goes to crap, I mean, we, we were Bucks fans for 20 years before this. I mean, what are, what are we going to do? I, I mean, we'll all go through it together. That's yeah. going to be the We don't have to stress about the team moving. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, we'll get to go. We'll all get to all go through that really dark period together. If Giannis does sign the Supermax realistically and he doesn't force his trade, force a trade out of there, the only pick that's really, really potentially in jeopardy is that 2027 one because that's when his supermax would technically be over but at that point he's what like 31 32 yeah he's a great player he's gonna contract that's fine yes yeah he's a great player he's gonna be awesome forever but i don't oh i don't know if he's gonna age quite as well as or gracefully potentially as, as some of these other amazing superstars but uh we'll see yeah yeah i think that's a good point it's just Let's get it across the line and we'll figure it out from there. That's That's been the big thing this past two seasons. What have we talked about all year long? Can we get Giannis to sign the Supermax? We do that. Goal accomplished. We'll figure it out from there. And I, I'm hoping by the next time we record this next Sunday, I'm hoping we'll have that across the line because that would be a beautiful thing. And I cannot wait to let the rest of the league know that Giannis chose to come back to Milwaukee, Wisconsin for five more years and they can shove it. So hopefully that's the, uh, that's the next recording for us. We're going to be losing a lot of segments that we're already losing Dante's Inferno. We might lose Vulture Talk. We're going to have to find something <laughs> yeah. to do. To we are. We are. Yeah. But. Oh, no. Adam's going to have to go out and edit this. That's fine. We can power through. Um, since Milwaukee does have two second round picks, I guess let's think of players that they could potentially draft. Now, I have five names. I literally went on the ringer and looked at a lot of the second rounders that are on their big board. And here are some of the names that interested me. Trey Jones, younger brother of my mortal enemy, Tyus Jones, uh, <laughs> Cash Winston, who was, I think voted the player college player of the year, uh, four year senior at Michigan state point guard, Zeke Naji. He is a big man from Arizona. He can rebound. He can score in the post. He might not be able to defend might be an issue. Tyshawn Alexander, he was someone that Dakota Schmidt was really high on. I can understand why, just given his breakdown, he seems like someone that's going to be a defender that's going to cause hell and can still hit some shots. Good perimeter shooter. Shot almost 40% from three, 86 from the free throw line, so don't have to worry about him not hitting shots. And then there was Nico Mannion. He was someone that was potentially someone – that was floated around as a first-round pick that Milwaukee would have made with the 24th pick. There are questions about if he's actually good or if because of the weak draft, he just shot up the rankings. And then local local player, played at Marquette, Marcus Howard. He's a sharpshooter. The guy does one thing, and that's shoot the ball. Was it a good shot? Doesn't matter. He's shooting it. Will it go in? I don't know. But that's kind of the entertainment factor of Marcus Howard. I guess he can kind of pass as well, but undersized type of guard. He is basically there to do one thing, 
shoot, and he can't be worse than Pat Connaughton. So those were some of the second rounders that I saw. I don't know if Milwaukee has a realistic shot of getting any of them at 60, and even then, I don't know how many of them are going to be available at 42, but Riley, were there any, was anyone out of those five that I list or someone that I didn't list that potentially could be available? Uh, I'm going to be 100% honest with you guys. After Dave92, uh, shout out Dave92 brought up that we need to readjust our draft expectations given the new pick location. Uh, I did not look around at all. I did zero research whatsoever. <laughs> However, um, I think more so what I'm going to be going for is philosophically, I, I think we're going to go even older. There, I mean, there's a chance you could do some like 18 year old. I mean, even more obscure than uh, the guy that Adam brought up last week, whose name I'm not going to try and go for, but like Serbian Thon, even more obscure than Serbian Thon. Andrew Bomaro, let's go. Stash him in Barcelona. <laughs> so, so even more obscure than that. So you could do that, but I think that I would be shocked if they're not like seniors or like, uh, you know, dudes who. I, I don't know. I don't necessarily want to go for like guy who just learned basketball a year before college and then like spent college getting better. Maybe you could go for that. But like if, if there's going to be a type, it's probably going to be a lot more like seniors or dude who are considered like pro ready right now, uh, whether that be a guard or like a center situation that might or like a big that'll probably be determined on who they talk to. I mean, it's whatever the draft is going to be probably a couple hours after this podcast uh, goes up. But if they have an idea for like who might be coming in board as a vet men deal um that'll probably affect where they go so i'm thinking you know ostensibly pro ready probably an older guy for a draft is where i would expect them to go but specific player i don't have anybody necessarily in mind i think i'm in the same camp i i it's too hard for me to know any sort of second rounder that they might go with but yeah i i agree riley i think it makes sense even though i sort of said the opposite in the first round i said i'd like to go upside but it, it's tough in the second round. I mean, that's where all the seniors have dropped to at that point. And yeah. I, I think it makes sense, it, especially given how the, the moves that they've made, they need a couple people at least that might be able to contribute immediately. So, yeah, I agree. So we'll see how it works out. But I, I think at this point, it seems like we're going to have to keep the picks because we need it for cap relief or uh, cap purposes. So we are going to have new players to talk about whether or not they're going to be worth a damn. We'll see. But uh, we wish them best of luck, uh, whoever your new bucks are. Look, between these two players and Justin James, we're going to really make these guys better than they probably are. <laughs> we're going to okay. Nate Walters the shit out of these guys. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Yeah. That's going to be great. All right. Well, that'll almost do it for the night. But before we go out, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't close us out on, on one final piece of one of our favorite segments. It's time for the last and final Dante's Inferno. I think I can be a professional basketball player. And for tonight, as we watch Dante just rip stiff, rip stuff up as as a member of the Kings and see him become a crowd favorite, I'd, I'd like to ask each of you, do you have a favorite memory from Dante's time in Milwaukee? I, I know there's so many, and I can see you're each both thinking so clearly about so many at once. It's so hard to think. Um, but uh, I think I have one. And my favorite memory of Dante isn't on the court, but in the quarantine interview he gave with Zora Stevenson, where he said, 
Zora, I'm going out and playing with chairs, and I'm imagining that I'm on the court with them, and I'm cutting. I'm pretending there are players around me so I can understand what the court's going to look like when we get to Miami. And that is such a Neo level of (laughs) Matrix basketball thinking. I I don't know if we're going to get another player like that in a long time. So I I just want to give kudos to him and the shout out in an interview where he said, I basically have to wrap my uh, foot up every single day and ensure that it's in bubble wrap. (laughs) It's going to fall off. So major kudos to him for his foot, not falling off into multiple different pieces, uh, even during quarantine. So thank you, Dante, for your years of service. I miss you a lot. I honestly probably won't pull the trigger on that Jersey, but I'm glad you were here (laughs) while you were here. I think I have two Dante moments. Funny thing, had the Bucks. I think I made a bet like the Bucks like went on this like massive run in the month of November when it, their schedule is absolutely brutal. I was going to buy that Mecca jersey, Mecca Dante jersey. Part of me kind of <laughs> wish they did it now because like it would have been a treasure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the two moments that I have: one, right after he got drafted with Bomani Jones, uh, ESPN podcaster do it all probably the smartest man in sports podcasting just absolutely hyping up and loving Dante to the point that it got me hyped up and loving Dante. Cause when he got drafted, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in on this guy. Let's do it. But once white Dante became a thing, it's like, I have to invest in it even more. So probably my favorite moment and Dante revealing like, okay, I did enjoy that nickname. And then the other is when he completely shook Kemba Walker out of his boots. It was a great time. Even better considering Kemba Kemba is known for doing that to everyone. So the fact that Dante was able to do it to him, it just it felt good. And it was nice having a first round pick that was competent when he was healthy. So I wish Dante the best of luck. I I do think he's going to be a solid NBA player. I don't think he's gonna be great, but he's always gonna be solid. He's probably gonna be traded again in, you know, two, three years for some other pick, but it, it Dante when Few believed in Dante. I did from day one, and I always will treasure that. <laughs> no, 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 Kyle. I thought Kyle did. No, Kyle, you did defend him. I thought I defended podcast. him I on the periscope him. the yes, night of the yeah, draft. Okay, all right. You were you were behind him. I, I absolutely was a turncoat. I'm a wimp. I, I'm a wuss. I, okay. I ripped him to shreds, and then and by defend him, I said it's not a bad pick. I think he'll be. It's all right. Like it's nothing spectacular. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was still yeah, better than what okay. people have. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I thought Kyle was doing some stolen valor there from Adam or something, like his stolen uh, Dante uh, from him. No, I, I think I don't necessarily have like a specific memory of Dante. Um, what are you talking about? Well, so like it's just like the amalgamation of him, right? Like the fact that he does stuff. And like there were so many when he was a rookie and even into his sophomore year. Like the amount of like risk he put himself in to like go up for rebounds, you know, cutting to the basket as like a lead ball handler of the steals in the second year. Like he was the epitome. This is going to be his thing. He does stuff and he just, he did a lot of stuff. And it, like Kyle said, given the uh, drought we were on for first round picks who could do stuff, it was like a, you know, it was an oasis of sorts. So, so shout out to him that, and, and again, like I said, Lost rookie season seemed to have bounced back. We'll see where it goes from here. But you know, I think it's tough for a lot of dudes who have a lost rookie season. Ask like Jamari Parker. That's tough to lose that and come back and be productive. 
Um, the the other thing is, you know, like Kyle was just saying on the Periscope, or me and Adam, and I don't know, I think Greg was probably on with us. Like Dante was like the very start of this newest iteration of the Brew Hoop podcast. So uh, you know, he'll always hold a slight special spot in my heart just because you know, he was there at the beginning. Uh, it, it's it, a shame that he got moved on. Is you know. I think it was probably good value for us, but uh, overall, I think in the arc of the podcast, he'll always be a special guy just because first one that I ever did a podcast about. So uh, Godspeed, Dante, Godspeed, DJ, I guess. And uh, Ursan, we'll see you in a couple months, my friend. <laughs> Shout out George Hill. Great man off the court uh, for everything. I mean, just for what he did with the boycott alone. Well, not boycott, protest, I should say alone. That's something that you don't see out of most players. So the fact that he was able to leave that, he was out canvassing in Milwaukee for votes, which could prove, which showed to be very vital to how the election turned out. So, you know, for George Hill doing that, as much as his hunting was weird and I'm not about that life, props to him. Um, New Orleans, I'm sure he's going to be hunting gators and crawfish and whatever wild animals are in the bayou. Um, DJ, you, you were there. My wife was there. She found out you were traded. So I guess there's that. And Ursan is going to be back. Maybe not in a couple months, but he'll be back next year. He'll retire. He'll, he will retire in Milwaukee buck. Yeah. A hundred percent. He's going to be, uh, the head Euro scout for the Milwaukee bucks. A thousand percent. Cause we're going to need it with this only second round picks that we have. Mm-hmm. Also, Shout RIP bench the- mob week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to mention the fact that like last week they were like, get your Rolo and Kyle Corver desktop wallpapers. I didn't need that, but shout out to all the Bucks who have who are going to be leaving the franchise. Shout out Dante. Shout out my dad for saying that I love Dante. What a great pick. And I had to sort of eat a <laughs> eat a an amazing amount of crow as Dante slowly turned into a really good player. So shout out my dad for calling that one right. And uh, shout out me for having no basketball acumen clearly at all, even though I write on a Buck site. So in a, an amazing night for Bucks fans, one of the biggest nights in <clears throat> recent franchise history, history, especially since the turn of the century, we're going to be in for a very, very wild ride. This next season is going to be absolutely crazy. So it was a ton of fun to talk to you guys about these recent moves. Stay tuned to Brew Hoop. You'll hear more about the draft. We have a ton of stuff up there already about the Drew Holiday and Bogdan Bogdanovich trades. You'll hear more in the coming days. We're going to reach out to some of our sister sites on SB Nation to learn a little bit more about these players. So thank you again for listening. Thank you especially to the people that listened to our draft podcast a couple <laughs> days ago that immediately became irrelevant. You are the true Brew Hoop fans. So thank you. We appreciate you. And we will talk to you again soon. Thank you.